Okay, so who do you think your favorite Drag Race contestant of all time is? Um, about, oh, my favorite of all time is Jujubee, hands down. <laughs> because Jujubee is like um, like a little Kamora Lee Simmons sort of, and I, I appreciate that. Adam, how about you? Uh, I really like Raven. Okay. <laughs> that is a controversial choice. <laughs> I know. I really like Raven for her. I don't know, she reminds me of uh, my punk rock days for some reason, so. Or for obvious reasons, but. For, <laughs> you can't see this, but the fact that Adam has punk rock days is hilarious. <laughs> he, he doesn't. My favorite, which also might be a controversial choice, is Alexis Mateo. Mm-hmm. I think Alexis Mateo, um, maybe she didn't have the greatest fashion sense, but she's got to be one of the greatest reality show contestants of all time. I mean, she's just so entertaining. I don't I don't care about the boogers and the heathers. She was she was queen to me. So welcome to the No Homo podcast. Um, this week we are going to be talking about drag. Uh, season 4 of Drag Race has launched this week and we thought it was a really uh, opportune time to talk about drag and drag culture and also the show that sort of brought it into the mainstream RuPaul's Drag Race. So um, I'm really happy to talk about this because I, I particularly think it's, it's really interesting um, growing up and having an idea of drag and then in the last four or five years with RuPaul's Drag Race happening and launching drag culture into the mainstream like it never has been before. I think we were talking about this um, you know, a little bit earlier where um, you know, growing up I always thought Drag was sort of like divine as Tracy Turnblad's mom and Hairspray and Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar and um, and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And I always got sort of confused about the difference between transsexual and transvestite and drag queens as a young person. So um, yeah, so I think what has been really nice in the in in my experience is having RuPaul's Drag Race as uh, a really amazing, eye-opening. yeah, eye-opening sort of cultural experience into this world that um, I find very fascinating and that you love. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought I remember being aware of who RuPaul was and seeing her in like Mac ads and being like, oh, so you can be a model. Like that's how you become a model. Is if you <laughs> if you're a boy and you want to be a model, you can be a drag queen, right. and then they'll put you in advertisements. Um, and I, I remember talking with people at my Bible camp, but then being like, that's a dude, and being like, yeah, it is, and like feeling sort of proud on behalf of homos. <laughs> like, yeah, that's one of us. And and also as Jan Brady's guidance counselor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I was going to say, like, my first ever kind of memory of understanding what drag is, I was from the Brady Bunch movie, but I think I was more excited to see a person of color in a Brady Bunch production <laughs> than an actual uh, drag queen, so... But I, I felt like I'm, I'm, I was very oblivious to the fact that drag culture existed growing, when I was growing up. Yeah, I think drag culture is really interesting. And, you know, sort of when you watch Drag Race, you get a really interesting glimpse into it. And I don't think you really understand... I don't think you can really understand drag, drag culture if you're not sort of entrenched in it. No. Um, and I think, you know, but, but terms like drag mother and lip sync and work sickening, sickening <laughs> hunty all those kind of terms I mean that's 
Drag Race is the first time I've ever mm-hmm. I've ever heard of it. Like I didn't know that drag queens padded, all this kind of stuff. And I think Drag Race has been really absolutely incredible because I think what it's done is it's also sort of launched this new era of celebrity drag queens. Yeah. And it used to be just RuPaul and before that maybe Divine. Um, but now there's like, yeah, there's so many celebrity drag queens, which I love. Yeah. And on that note, you just spoke with Pandora Box. Coming up in the podcast, you'll hear an interview that I did with Pandora Box, who was just amazing, and uh, I have a lot of respect for her, and she really shed some light on sort of um, what it's like to to be a drag queen and what it was like to participate in that show, which was super interesting for me. I can't wait to hear that. Um, and I, uh, you'll hear an interview that I did with a PhD student um, called Kevin Nixon, who is um, exploring the more academic side of drag, which is interesting that that exists, but obviously it does. Uh, and I, I felt very uneducated going into this podcast. So originally when, uh, Dean and Mike, they got really excited about drag and I was like, fuck, I don't know what I'm talking about. And I want to do a little bit of legwork. Um, and so I interviewed a, a relatively new queen, uh, in the Toronto drag scene. Uh, her name's Portia. Um, and I kind of just wanted to know the process that went into, you know, Portia growing up as a little boy, uh, and exploring wearing, you know, uh, his mom's clothes into, uh, becoming a, a performer in Toronto. Um, and it's, it's, it's more of like getting to know a person who's also, also does drag, I feel was my approach to it. So it was an, it was an eye opening experience and I, I learned a lot about the drag scene in Toronto and the process it takes for someone to become comfortable with themselves and their sexuality and what drag is to them. Yeah, I think that there was actually a point where I, I sort of considered... I remember being a young queer kid, and, and after I saw Tu Wong Fu, actually, <laughs> I thought I really wanted to go and try on women's clothing and, and have that experience of, of drag. Um, and, yeah, I think that I have such respect for drag queens because I think that um, they're really talented, and I think that they're really brave individuals to to um, sort of play with gender in an in a interesting, entertaining kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I think now with, as I said, you know, with RuPaul's Drag Race being such an international sensation, um, I think it's really upped what you have to do to be a really successful drag, drag queen. I don't think it's good enough anymore to just kind of put on a, put on a wig and lip sync to a song half-heartedly. Like, I think it's really upped what you you know, what you have to bring to the table as a drag queen. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to see where drag will go because I think right now it's in a really um, amazing place. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you think, like, physically it would take to make a good drag queen? Like, I've always kind of just... Not always, but, like, I've tried to figure out... Um, like, a lot of the queens that I've met in the scene or have seen perform have, like, facial features that allow for, like, the kind of defined cheekbones and... Um, like the brazier wearing, but um, I don't. I don't know. Like, there's a lot of like really hot burly guys who just can turn into like very dainty looking drag queens. And to me, I don't know how that connection happens physically. But it's always something. 
Like, I don't think Yerks and I could become, like, I don't think we'd be very convincing drag queens because of our eyebrows. (laughs) (laughs) They're massive. (laughs) Uh, Dean, maybe, could probably. I've been in drag, and I'm not as beautiful as I expected. (laughs) I've also been in drag uh, for a drag episode of One Girl, Five Gays, and it was not a pretty sight. (laughs) But I think now, I think drag is really interesting because it's, it's not just about being a convincing woman. I think there's so much more to it. Um, and I think that it's, you know, part performance art, part, um, like musical theater, part Sometimes SNL. Gymnast. Yeah, gymnast. <laughs> like, it's like an SNL caricature. And you have to really, you know, you have to know who your persona is as a drag queen. I think you have to sort of create this really interesting drag persona, yeah. um, with a big personality. And so I think it's, when you mention the idea of, you know, what do you think it takes to look like a drag queen? I think there's so much more that plays into it than just... You know, passing as a woman. Passing as a woman. Yeah. I guess coming up, uh, you'll hear the interviews. And, um, yeah. We hope that you enjoy. (laughs) Shantae and stay. first time I performed I was 16 so I guess that was uh, 11 years ago um, and that was in Peterborough it was pretty a pretty interesting experience it was um, everybody was really welcoming and you know uh, really kind about it you know looking back on the shows they were pretty terrible <laughs> but, you know it was like a bunch of teenagers and college students just having a really good time, you know, at, you know, a gay uh, function that was organized by the, uh, the local college in Peterborough, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I didn't actually perform in Toronto until probably just a couple of years ago, and that was at something that was hosted by the B-Girls at, at Buddies in Bad Times Theatre, which was a really fun and interesting experience. Um, you know, they would just bring everybody up and they would do their show and then there was an audience judging, you know, by applause for the winner. And uh, I always came in the top three every time that I did that, but I only won once. And uh, we sort of, me and my friends have a running joke now, you know, when you come in second place, you know, because when I came in second place once, I uh, won a double-ended foot-and-a-half-long black dildo. So... It's a pretty good trophy, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Ever since I was a little kid, I guess, I always enjoyed getting dressed up. So there was that element. Uh, But I didn't grow up in a family where uh, theater or performance was, you know, nurtured or any in that aspect at all. Like, it was just kind of a regular family, Um, you know, for Peterborough uh, with three sons, you know, so there was never any of that kind of theatrical uh, aspect in my childhood. But I think I can solely attribute the movie of Hedwig and Angry Inch to kind of really motivating me to pursue this whole, you know, uh, love for getting dressed up a little bit farther. Once I saw that movie, it kind of changed things for me a little bit. I was like, oh my god, that is just too much fun. I need to be a part of that. When you're dressed up, and uh, you feel like you can you are another person, especially because you have, uh, you know, this completely different look and maybe over time you've developed this character and 
you know, you maybe you say different things or approach certain social situations in a different way than you would otherwise. So there's definitely an escape element uh, involved in it. And I think that almost everybody who does drag would, would say that that is a big part of, of uh, their experience in drag. To uh, create the, you know, the drag persona that, that uh, queens do have, you know, on stage and in person definitely develops over time. Uh, in the same way that you develop your own personality, you come to develop your own drag personality. Um, it's obviously very much an extension of yourself and your creative uh, soul, if you will, but it's, um, they're kind of like yin and yang at some points. Um, I don't mind if people call me Brad, but I definitely uh, prefer if they say Portia just because it's, you know, part of the character, it's part of the act, I guess. And it is an act and it is a character and it's fun to play that, that character. But um, yeah, for me, I know like some queens, they don't really care. Like one famous one uh, who was on the first season of RuPaul's Drag Race, Chanel, you know, she, uh, he prefers to be called Brian, which is his own name. And I thought that was very strange, actually. I don't know that I've ever met any other queens who prefer to be called by their male name when they're in drag. But, you know, he just goes by Chanel for, for namesake. I will go up and speak to people who I don't know, you know, and just be comfortable having a conversation with them um, and making jokes and, you know, whatever, and just have a good time. Whereas, out of drag, I wouldn't do that, but mostly because I think there's sort of a social barrier where if you just randomly walk up to people, I mean, they can be off-put a little. But when you come dressed kind of in a ridiculous fashion, uh, you know, with a, a big hat and a crazy face on, people are definitely more welcoming to that to begin with. So, yeah, in social settings, the comfort level is very different. You know, when I am at work, you know, I'll be you know, talking with people or something like this and I'll say something or give a certain gesture, you know, maybe a, the way I'll raise my brows or something like this and it kind of, I just think, oh, that was so Portia, you know, because Brad wouldn't really, you know, I don't really do that. I'm not really that exaggerated and I'm quite comfortable not being over the top. So... Again, it comes back to that kind of that escapism, you know, doing drag. It, but it's also satisfying on a creative level, too. As, I don't know if I want to call myself an artist, but as somebody who appreciates art in all of its forms, um, and enjoys producing art and creative things, there's definitely that satisfaction when I can look at myself in the mirror all, all complete and see that, that illusion. Because ultimately that's what my goal is every time that I'm doing drag is to create an illusion. It's not a good enough for me or, or satisfying at it on any level just to you know put on a dress and slap a wig on. It's like so boring, you know? It's just, I can't do that kind of drag. Um, I always like to have that kind of that element of, of realness. 
Yeah, definitely I identify as a gay male. Um, sometimes, and that's interesting because sometimes when people see uh, me and maybe how much, when I'm in drag and how much work I put into, you know, the makeup and the nails and, you know, from head to toe. Um, I've been asked many, many times whether I'm transgendered and I take that as a compliment, I guess, but I'm not, you know, I don't uh, have any desire to transition uh, now or, you know, that I can see in the future. I definitely identify as a, as a gay male. I have to admit, I've led a fairly sheltered uh, adulthood so far when it comes to dating. When I was uh, 16, I met um, my first boyfriend and we were together for six and a half years. And both of us did drag together and it was fun and he was really not into it at first, uh, but eventually he saw how much fun it was and he came around and started doing drag too. So six and a half years later we broke up and it was a volatile relationship at the end and we brought out the worst in each other. So I took some time just to be alone and to kind of rediscover who I am and who I wanted uh, who I wanted to be I guess and you know a couple of years later it was kind of like wait a minute I'm still single what am I doing like I want to date I feel like dating but I have been apprehensive for a lot of reasons mostly because of doing drag um, I guess I'm some kind of afraid of of that rejection most people don't want to date a drag queen. The idea of dating somebody who does drag for most gay men is off-putting. It's not like, you know, it's, this isn't the prize you bring home to the ma and pa and say, oh, look at my new partner, and you know. Unless you're, unless you are the type of individual who is very assured in yourself. And I think that goes, uh, the same can be said for, for the drag queen, you know. I've been maybe a little bit self-conscious about that, about potentially being rejected, so I haven't really gone after looking to date in the past. But if I was more confident in that, I would go out there, and people are definitely attracted to confidence. You know, when you see somebody who's self-conscious, that's not an attractive quality. So if you are a little bit self-conscious about something, then people naturally are not going to be attracted to you, whether you're doing drag or not. I think that a type of person who's going to be confident uh, in themselves and a real, having a relationship with somebody who does drag has to be confident, I think, in their intellectual abilities to be able to uh, see the situation for what it is. Um, which can be very complicated or it can be very straightforward, but there's just, it's a huge gray area. You just have to, I think, be able to analyze and, and realize what's, what's going on because it can be deceptive to some people. And that's why I think a lot of people are put off by it because they don't understand it. So if somebody is smart enough or, or willing, you know, to put in the time to kind of come to realize what, what it's all about and uh, what this individual can contribute to their lives, then that's the type of person that's 
going to be confident and have a relationship with somebody who does drag. For somebody to tell me that they didn't want me to do drag or that they were uncomfortable with that, then that's not the person for me. Because it's just, it is a part of me and I can't deny that. It's something that I like and it's uh, just a great deal of fun. So for somebody to try and deny me that, then they don't actually love me because they don't understand who I am. I couldn't stand to be in Peterborough at all, like any, any longer. So I moved to Toronto when I was 18 and I have to say I was very naive, very young and naive and I made a lot of stupid mistakes. Um, but it was an interesting growing experience. And now I feel like I'm, you know, at this point, almost 10 years later, where I'm only now able to put those experiences into perspective or start to put them into perspective to point myself in the direction that I, that I want to take my life. I'm Bradley Perry, but most people know me as Portia Glamour. I'm a Toronto drag queen. Uh, so this is Dean, and I'm here with Kevin Nixon, who is getting his doctorate in drag. <laughs> um, but more specifically, Kevin, do you want to explain um, what you're studying? Okay, yeah. Um, well, my PhD is in sociocultural anthropology, um, but I decided to study drag culture specifically. Um, I kind of started to get interested in drag when I was doing my master's work, um, focusing kind of specifically on gender identity, and I thought yeah. this would be a really interesting community to kind of study gender identity formation. Uh -huh. And so in terms of getting, like creating a PhD thesis, that's what you're, that's what you're doing, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so what is like the foundation of that work or your argument or your um, focus? Okay, well my focus specifically is on um, gender identity formation. Yeah. Um, but also kind of how gender identity is articulated with race and class-based identities. Okay. Um, so how that kind of, um, how all these identities kind of come together and intersect uh, in the lives of individual drag queens. Uh -huh. um, part of it is also kind of looking at the politics of drag performance. So what drag performances can tell us about kind of the current state of sexuality, gender politics, but also race and class politics in Canada. Uh -huh. And their relationship with things like multiculturalism uh -huh. and kind of uh, normative queer identities, I guess, is yeah. kind of the best way to put it. Cool, that's so interesting. It, like, a lot of what I first learned about the idea of gender performance comes from Paris is Burning. Yeah. And when yeah. there's that guy is like, you know, we saw the woman in Dynasty, in Dynasty and that was my chance to be like that rich white woman. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. if in New York in the 80s people wanted to be the woman in Dynasty, who do yeah. people want to be now? Well, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, drag has certainly changed um, from even the period that Paris, and Paris is Burning yeah. was produced. And I mean, Paris is Burning was done in New York City uh -huh. in the U.S. I mean, there's definitely going to be different political differences than yeah. what you see here in Toronto yeah. and in Canada in general. 
Um, and that's also something I'm really interested in is how does how does the way drag was written about in the U.S. compared to how I understand drag as it's practiced here in Canada. And I uh-huh. think sometimes queer scholars have tended to sort of lump them together uh-huh. um, and just assume, oh, okay, well, you know, drag queens in Canada are the same as drag queens in the U.S. And, uh-huh. you know, I think the kind of politics behind drag performance have a different effect um, when you're dealing with different kind of political ideologies. Uh-huh. Um, one that I'm particularly interested in, multiculturalism. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a very strong... Um, Kind of political ideology here in Canada, but not so much in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you always hear the whole like cultural melting pot in the U.S. Everyone's supposed to assimilate to a particular model yeah. of what it means to be American. Uh-huh. That's different in Canada, where we kind of have these this mosaic, these multicultures, or at least that's the way the model's presented. Yeah, and I'm really interested about what drag can tell us about that, and how drag can affect our perceptions of, for instance, kind of challenge ideas about multiculturalism. Uh-huh. Um, and so, can you talk specifically about? Um, performances you've seen where this idea of Canadian multiculturalism is yeah is, for is sure for sure I mean I'm I'm just kind of embarking on my field work but I yeah. think um, one particular example that kind of spurned me on to this uh-huh. research was I was I was reading a book actually funny enough uh, the study was done in New York City yeah. uh, with Filipino drag performers yeah. and uh, it was really interesting because this author talked about um, how these performers kind of had to carve out a niche for for a Filipino gay identity mm-hmm. um, and for, for Filipino type drag performances, yeah. like a cultural niche. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. I mean, they were carving out this niche against the pressure to conform to a very white, middle to upper class American gay male identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wondered if that would be the case in Canada, uh-huh. if you would see the same type of thing, or because we have this idea of multiculturalism, if there would be the same pressure to carve out these specific ethnocultural niches mm-hmm. um, and that's something I'm interested in exploring for sure yeah. once I get out into the field yeah. and get a little bit more involved in the community um, do you think that on Canadian drag stages that you would see a, a larger do you suspect that you'll find a, a wider variety of uh, cultures? For sure, for sure, I mean I think within any urban centre, even in the US you, you do see a great diversity of multi, uh-huh. like different cultures um, different class affiliations yeah. um, you know, I mean, everything, different, even different body types, different um, levels of education. But I think here in Toronto, we're a particularly diverse city. Uh-huh. And so I think even compared to cities like San Francisco um, or New York, I mean, I think it would be really interesting to look at drag within this community with, with the really high degree of diversity. Yeah. And there is a lot of stigma directed at drag queens by gay men. Yeah. And, and a lot of it has to do with internalized homophobia uh-huh. and, and kind of misogyny within the gay male community. Yeah. And then the fear of femininity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, really, I really do think that, that um, gay men need to be more aware mm-hmm. of um, just the value that drag queens should have mm-hmm. in our community and, and what drag has done in kind of pushing forward these ideas about gender and sexuality. Yeah. I mean, my idea of it was always that, like... Um, it's the total, it's like the opposite of being in the closet. Not that every gay man wants to be a drag queen, yeah. but it's like, if I, all these things you weren't supposed to do, they are just like, have like, they dive headfirst into, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, the feminine. Yeah. Do you think that there's a reason why drag, like why now is the time for drag? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, um, believe it or not, I mean, I think even outside the queer community, I think uh, heterosexual audiences as well, um, have, have sort of had a fascination with drag. I mean, I think everyone's kind of interested in 
in in gender bending mm-hmm. and, and kind of gender bending as spectacle yeah um which which has both negative and positive um connotations yeah um but i think um it's getting a lot of attention now i think as we start to really open up about gender and sexuality mm-hmm. and we really start to embrace kind of um alternative gender presentations i guess for mm-hmm. lack of a better term um and i think as we're seeing a greater acceptance for instance of uh the transgender community mm-hmm. um as well as um a greater acceptance of um just the queer community in general i think mm-hmm. people are much more open to exploring drag as as a topic of interest yeah you know? um what is your drag name? <laughs> oh. Okay, well, my, my drag name is Roxy Fox. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting you brought that up because that's, that's one of sort of the unique elements of the research that I'm doing is uh, because I'm an anthropologist by training, yeah. um, our, our kind of methodology, I guess, for doing mm-hmm. research is to insert ourselves into a yeah, culture and study it from the inside yeah. out. I just sort of guessed. I figured you'd have done it at least once. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, it's a good guess. Yeah. Uh, no, I, so yeah, I've, I've performed more than once. Uh-huh. Um, and I thought it was sort of the best way to learn about the community was mm-hmm. to immerse myself in it. Yeah. And what's Roxy yeah. Fox like? She is, um, well, she's more saucy than I am, yeah. I think. <laughs> uh, definitely more flirty. Uh-huh. She's, uh, you know, she's she's some of um, my better traits yeah. at that point. She's, you know, an exaggerated Kevin, I yeah. guess. Um, cool. And so the, my last question is that um, as maybe one of, like, the foremost drag experts in Toronto, if someone wants to go see good drag in Toronto or otherwise, okay. where do you send them? Oh, wow. Oh, my God. To see, to see the best drag to you can see. To see the best drag. Well, it, I guess it depends on what you're into. Like, uh-huh. if you're into, like, really great choreo- choreographed performances, yeah. a lot of really amazing dancing, backup uh-huh. dancers, then, I mean, you know, obviously you would probably go see someone like Fonda Cox, yeah. Fly, uh-huh. um, you'd, you know, go to Cruise and Tango, maybe, or, uh-huh. um, you know, Buddies always has a really great show. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, Donorama's yeah. amazing. Uh-huh. I love Donorama. Uh-huh. Um, she's just got she's 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 amazing. I kind of she's created a niche, a certain type of drag for herself. Yeah, it's very comedic yeah. and very entertaining. Uh-huh. Um, but like even George's play has great shows. Mm-hmm. Woody's has amazing shows on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just along the strip, I guess between yeah. like <laughs> Alexander and Church and Wellesley, mm-hmm. like just yeah. you know exploring that section of the community. There's also shows going on. Um, you know, at El Convento Rico on College mm-hmm. Street. So it's not necessarily just limited to the village. Yeah. Queen West, yeah. the, you know, the kind of new queer community that's yeah. kind of is there, dra- there. Is there drag happening? You know, there? to be honest, I, I can't say for sure. Yeah. Um, I, but I would I would assume they're starting to do mm-hmm. performances out there because it's, it's amazing how many ads I'm seeing for, like, club events yeah. out in Queen West and hearing yeah. about how this is becoming the kind of quote-unquote new uh, queer community. Yeah. Um, but so I'm sure there's going to be performances starting yeah. out there. If not some yeah. already happening yeah. most of my research has been done in the village yeah um so far yeah so i'm looking forward to kind of exploring what's happening outside yeah cool thanks kevin that's it you're welcome <laughs> that was awesome uh the next guest on our podcast is the amazing fantastic um season two uh drag race superstar pandora box thank you so much pandora for joining us on the podcast we really appreciate it 
Oh, thank you for having me. So uh, Pandora, I want to talk a bit about sort of um, your origin in drag and how you got into it originally. Um, well, originally, I think that it was, uh, I started when Abraham Lincoln was president. Okay. Uh, so it's been like 300 years and I cry. Mary Todd Lincoln was a huge inspiration to me. Okay, so uh, Pandora, tell me what uh, motivated you to audition for RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, what, what motivated me to audition for RuPaul's Drag Race was just that, uh, you know, I drag her wasn't really going anywhere, and I lived in Rochester, New York, and I had done everything there is to do, and I wanted to go further, but I didn't really want to start over again in a new city, and I knew if I moved to a new city, it would be basically like starting over, so. I just kind of said, well, if nothing, if something doesn't change within this year, and this is before Drag Race, that I was going to uh, stop doing drag. And then Drag Race kind of happened. I mean, I, I saw the first season. I auditioned for the first season. I didn't get on. And I just knew that it was something special, and RuPaul's name was attached to it, and I knew it was going to be something great and fun, and, and I wanted to be a part of it. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. So you had said that you have been doing um, drag since... Um, I guess Abraham Lincoln was president. Uh, <laughs> can you talk a bit uh, about sort of um, what it was like working your way up through the, the drag community? I guess where you, I mean, it was in Rochester where you sort of started, right? Yeah, yeah, I started in Rochester. That's where I, I performed until, and performed and lived until I moved here to LA in August. Um, I think that, you know, I think I was very lucky that I, performed in Rochester and started there because Rochester has an amazing drag scene and there's an amazing amount of talented drag performers there. So when you're around people that are doing really well, you want to do well as well. That kind of sounds really dumb. You want to do well as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you, uh, you kind of learn from people around you and it forces you to be good because you're in competition with these really amazingly funny and great drag queens. So it definitely was something that helped me because there's a lot of cities that don't have uh, good drag queens. <laughs> so to start there is a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it, it, it's, I think it's easier now because of drag race because there, there is people to like mold yourself after and model yourself after. And there's like a goal now, you know, there's, there's, every queen wants to get on Drag Race. Yeah, I bet I. Yeah, I mean, it really has brought drag into the mainstream, like it really has never been before, because it certainly was brought there by different drag performers in the past, like Sylvester and Divine and Damon Edna, and of course, RuPaul, who brought it to a whole different level. But you didn't really see a lot of the other drag queens. It was only like maybe one or two. But now there's like there's like 50 of us that everybody knows who, is, who they are. Can you talk about the moment you found out you were cast? Like when you found out, okay, this is going to happen. I'm going to go and, and shoot season two of, of Drag Race. Um, well, you know, it's a, it's a long process of, um, you send in your, your audition video and then you wait. There's a lot of waiting, there's a lot of waiting involved. 
and you know which is hard because you really want to know and you're really excited and just waiting you feels like an eternity so there's like uh there's interviews and you know you have to send in pictures and you do all this there's a whole lot of back and forth and i knew that i had gotten pretty far further than i had the year before just because of the amount of interviews i was getting and and just different steps and processes that I was going through that I, I kind of was like, okay, I think I'm pretty far, but I'm not going to get my hopes up. So, because so I, I don't want to be devastated if I don't get it. And then um, I got a call. And then I was, you know, I knew when it was shooting because they give you the shooting schedule of, of what dates you'd need to clear. Mm -hmm. And as it was getting closer and closer, I'm like, okay, this is the day. If this doesn't, if I don't find out this day, I didn't get on. Like I kept like going, okay, well, maybe I could go one more day and then they'd have to tell me. Because, you know, they have to book flights and I figured they would give you some amount of time to get, you know, make sure that you were packed and ready and and then I got a call, and it was in the afternoon, and they wanted to do a little more, another interview with me. And then at the end of that interview, they told me that I had made it on. Like, they they switched it to conference call, and then the whole room said, congratulations, you made it. And I kind of was like, huh? <laughs> I don't think I said anything. I really don't. And they kind of, and I was like, oh, my God, that's so great. And then they didn't, they were kind of just like, are you excited? <laughs> And I said, yeah, I am. I just, I'm kind of speechless. I don't know what to say. That sounds amazing. That's, I think yeah. it's also, it's amazing that you said that, you know, it was either, it was either sort of like, either I do this, either I apply and, and do RuPaul's Drag Race, or I don't do drag anymore. So it's sort of both ends of the spectrum. It was one or the other, which I think is so amazing. Yeah, it really just was, you know, it, I think that sometimes in your life you have to go and think, okay, is this what I'm supposed to do? Am I on the right path? And that was just kind of me putting it out into the universe and saying, okay, I I need help. I need guidance. I need to know if this is something that I should continue to do or not. And you got a sign. You got a clear sign. That's for, that's well, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the universe said, keep those panties on, lady. <laughs> So I want to know, um, what was the overall experience of doing the show? I mean, obviously it was incredibly positive for you, but can you speak to that at all? Uh, speak to the show itself. Um, it's, it's such an amazing, incredible ride. And it's like, it's just a mixture of excitement and nervousness. You walk on the set, you're there, and then there's RuPaul. And you're like, oh, shit, this is starving right now. <laughs> We're in it. And it's just this incredible ride. But you're kind of treated like a little, like, fashion prisoners because <laughs> they take away your phone, your computer. You have no contact with the outside world. Um, a lot of the crew can't even talk to you. Uh, so it's just like this little bubble you're living in. And, you know, you can't, once you go to the hotel, you can't leave the hotel. So you can never go and do anything else. And even when you're going to the bathroom, there has to be somebody that, that escorts you to the bathroom. And so it's just like this weird little, little world you live in. But it's exciting at the same time. You're making a show and, uh, and you know, from going from watching from season one to season two, you're like, oh, wow, there's a budget this season. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you can't talk about it for like nine months later. 
<laughs> yeah, that must be tough, right? You're under like uh, strictest, strictest confidence to not say anything, right? Yeah, you, you are, and I'm excited that you did it. And it's 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 a whirlwind, it's, and you know I got eliminated, so then I leave feeling defeated, and I knew that they ripped me apart a lot for what I wore. And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm literally thinking, did I just kill my drag career? Because everyone, I'm gonna be like the laughing stock. Like I'm gonna be like, everybody's like gonna just hate me and make fun of me. And and then, the, you know, the exact opposite happened. So it was great. Yeah, I, I actually, you know, I wanted to speak to you about that because Santino was particularly difficult in terms of what you wore constantly. He seemed to sort of episode after episode pick a bone with you I don't know why he was very tough on you why do you think that was uh I you know I he said it in the beginning he said I don't like your style and I said Jesus Christ what am I gonna do now yeah <laughs> I'm, like, I'm kind of stuck because that's what I have with me is all my own style so I tried to like uh you know do different things but it's you know, you're under a lot of pressure to make these things. You don't have a lot of time. And it's not making excuses. It's just kind of like, I just didn't know where to go with anything after that. I kind of was like thrown for, I just didn't know. I was like, oh God, what am I going to do now? And uh, so I just kind of was like, okay, well, they're not going to like anything at war. Although in the first episode, he did actually really like my outfit, but they never put that in the show. Um. Well, they, they, what was so interesting about the show is they called you the Susan Lucci. You know, you were runner-up many, many, many times. And, you know, you were always so close, but no cigar. So can you kind of speak to, to what it was like to constantly be the runner-up, to sort of be so close to, to challenge win after challenge, win time after time, and, and never quite get there? Was that frustrating? Yeah, I fucking sucked. <laughs> I was like, oh. I'm a, I didn't know, I honestly, after this, the Snatch Game Challenge was really when I kind of was like, all right, I'm not winning shit on this goddamn show. <laughs> so I'm going to just be funny and last as long as I can because I did everything they asked and they liked everything I did. And then they had someone else win it who they didn't like everything that she had done, but she still won the challenge. And they told me the week before that, you know, if I improved my runway, that I would have won that challenge. Did it. Still didn't win the challenge, so I was like, okay, <laughs> it's clear. I don't know how much more I can do. I mean, I, I really felt like I gave everything in that challenge and did really well and still didn't win. So. Well, you won the fan favorite, so that's something to, to definitely take with you. Um, I have a, uh, I wanted to talk to you about... Yeah. And um, by a landslide. Yeah, by a landslide, <laughs> exactly, right? And you and you uh, got lots of uh, lots of press in Entertainment Weekly that said that you were robbed and that you were the best of the best. So that must have felt nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's great to, you know, it's a different experience shooting the show and then watching the show. And you don't know how people are going to perceive you. And so it was great to have people really on my side and understand what I was doing and like what I was doing. And especially Entertainment Weekly. I mean, that's just like, you know, I, I'm surprised I didn't have to even blow anybody for that kind of press. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, and they are, uh, they're pretty, yeah, yeah, they sort of are, are, they know good taste, you know? Entertainment Weekly has really good taste, so there you go. Um, I wanted to know um, if you're ever really surprised by the reach of Drag Race. Like, can you, can you talk about a specific example when, you, when you've sort of been like, wow, it, it's, really, it's really popular and a lot of people um, are affected by this show? Uh, well, I guess, you know, I, I see it all the time. I mean, I just saw it uh, this weekend. I was in D.C. doing a show in Florida, and, you know, just the amount of people that came out and want to meet me and get pictures and talk to me, and it's just incredible. And it's, like, almost two years later that I was on the show, and it's still having an impact. And people are just so excited for it. It just really resonates with people because... That there's so many people that like drag and you know straight and gay and this kind of brings it out even more so more people can appreciate it because it's just fun I mean it's just fun and crazy and it kind of pokes it, it kind of like breaks down those gender stereotype roles that we have in our society that kind of says well this is how a man is and this is how a woman is and drag just says well fuck you this is what it is and it's great and I think people really respond to that because I think drag queens are seen as outcasts a little, and there's a lot of people that feel like an outcast and feel like they don't belong. So with drag, it kind of, you know, says, hey, you can be a freak. <laughs> and it celebrates it. Yeah, it definitely celebrates it. And it's really powerful, too, that, you know, I talked about suicide on the show, and I didn't really think much about saying it. It just was in the context of what we were saying. And, you know, I... I, I, I knew I had to be a little revealing about myself because I, I mean, I honestly wanted to last longer in the show and, and I knew that I hadn't been and I knew that I, I was like, well, I, I'll talk about this because I feel comfortable in this, in the setting that we're talking about and, it, and, it, and it's fitting with what we're saying. And now I, I just have gotten so many emails from people that's, that really just said, you know, that I saved their life or that they went through the same thing and now they don't feel alone. And that's just incredibly powerful to know that you had a change in somebody's life just by saying something, just by admitting something. That's amazing. And I remember that moment just being a, such a powerful moment. And that's one thing that I love about, about Drag Race is that I think that it is so fun and it's so, you know, it's like cotton candy. It's such a guilty pleasure, but it also has this unbelievable undertone of love and acceptance and, you know, be proud of who you are. It's just, um, I mean, when I was growing up, a little homosexual boy, we, there wasn't anybody on TV that was gay. And if they were, they were like a character that was kind of made fun of. So it wasn't, I didn't have a lot of exposure. So there's so much now that it, it's, it's so great for for people, for actually even younger and older, because there are people that are older that, you know, haven't come out and come out really late and and shows like like ours give people the courage to be themselves. Yeah, it's it's really, it's amazing. Um, I, so I guess uh, just one last question. I wanted to sort of ask you um, if you had any advice for a young drag queen, someone who who's seen, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race or is thinking about getting into the drag community, what advice would you give them? My advice to any drag queen who wants to start doing drag is don't do it. Run away. <laughs> <laughs>
that means. Uh, you know, I think that it, honestly, it's like if they want to do drag, just have fun with it. Um, I will. I you know, what if somebody wants to make a career out of it? Best of luck to them. It's very, very difficult to do that, but it's possible. I mean, anything's possible if you set your mind to it and it's within your heart to do. But um, it, it's tough. It's tough up there, and it's going to be tougher now because of Drag Race, and there are so many more drag queens that are going to be out there and working and and coming for my job. So stop, please don't do it because I need to work. So don't come and take my jobs. I was going to say if you give if you give. Um you know, young queens uh, advice, then they're going to start taking your bookings, which is probably not what you want, right? I know. Oh. <laughs> All right, we won't give, we won't give any advice. Damn you, season queens. four of Drag Race. Yeah, damn you. Well, what? listen, um, <laughs> I can't thank you enough for being a part of the podcast. I think, um, you know, you're such a, such an unbelievable talent and uh, also a fantastic person. So, to be able to have the chance to interview for you for our little podcast has been really uh, very, very nice. So thank you so much for being a part of it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on it. So, yeah. Um, hope you enjoy the podcast. And Shante and stay around. All right, that's it for this edition of the No Homo podcast. We hope you have, um, you know, maybe been inspired to throw on a wig or some glitter. Um, we would, we'd like to thank Pandora and Kevin and Portia. On the next episode, we're going to have an Oscar-related podcast. Um, we're going we're to explore some gay things that will be happening for this award season. Um, what is it gay about that award season? <laughs> yeah, the award season is gay. What's gay about the thing that honors Meryl Streep? The gay Stanley Cup. Adam, why don't you tell the people where they can contact us? So, uh, yeah, you can email us, uh, nohomopodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, at nhpodcast. Um, and on Tumblr, the nohomopodcast.tumblr.com. So get in contact with us. We like hearing your feedback. Thanks for listening. Now, sashay away.